Some of you, when you walked in here this morning, you knew something was different. Anybody know what this is called? This is called a pulpit. Now, just because I'm using the pulpit this morning doesn't mean that anything I have to say is more, impa- more important than our, our regular pastors, but I don't preach from an iPad. I have one, but I don't preach from one. I have a bunch of notes and other things up here, so I needed a pulpit to, as a place to put my uh, stuff. So if you're a guest with us this morning, thank you for coming. Welcome. We're glad you're here. And uh, we would invite you to come back and hear our much younger, more dynamic pastors preach. Pastor Adam, as you may or, no, may or may not know, is on sabbatical for a number of weeks yet, and uh, Pastor Chris is away enjoying some time uh, with his uh, family, so thus my uh, reason for being up here. I found the, uh, in the first service my message was a little bit shorter than, than what's typically expected, and someone came up to me afterwards and says, we should have you preach during football season. <laughs> That is true. Somebody did come up and say that to me. So we're in the midst of a study on the book of Judges, and it's based on this booklet written by Tim Keller called Judges for You. I think there may be still some copies out in the foyer available for your purchase. And so over the past number of weeks, we've been going through this book, and we have a, a number of weeks uh, to go yet. And I just want to highlight a couple of things. One, number one is that I typically use the NIV translation of the Bible. So the verses that I read this morning are going to be different from the verses that you may have in your Bible if you have a New Living Translation or if you use the uh, Pew Bible. So this morning, uh, we're, I want to, uh, I got to get my clicker out, and I'll probably end up pulling my car keys out and wondering why they don't work for this. There are three points that I want to basically highlight this morning from this uh, chapters 4 and 5 in the book of Judges that we're using this morning. The first part of my message is the Judges story doesn't just apply to Israel. The second part is missing the blessing. And the third part is find out where God's at work and join Him. These points are on the uh, sermon notes uh, in your bulletin if you want to follow follow along. So the first part, the judge's story doesn't just apply to Israel. I think we have a tendency when we read some of these Old Testament books that we think the story just applies to ancient times and it doesn't really matter to us, or it might be only God speaking to Israel, but how does it apply to us? This morning, I want to hopefully be able to successfully help us understand that this story that we see today and the stories that we've been going over the last number of weeks from the book of Judges doesn't just simply apply to Israel. And we've used the last number of weeks, we've used the Judges cycle, and we see this cycle recurring time and time again throughout this book, where the people rebel, God is angry, they're oppressed by enemies, the people cry out for repentance, salvation comes through a chosen judge, There's a period of peace, the judge dies, the people rebel, and the cycle starts all over again. I want to use a little bit of an abbreviated judge's cycle this morning. If you really take these words, they fit in with the other judge's cycle. But this morning, I want us just to think about commitment, complacency, compromise, and conflict. Now, I'm not going to cover all those. I'm going to focus mainly on the topic of complacency. These principles are the theme in the book of Judges, but they're also present in our relationship with the Lord. Often when we read Judges, we think that this is just a book about the cycle of nations and Israel in particular. 
But we need to be reminded of our own tendencies to wander away from God. We must constantly monitor our, our own spiritual progress. Our tendency is to drift backwards. Our default position is to move from commitment to complacency and then to compromise. Now, the presence of this cycle in, in the book of Judges would seem to indicate that the children of Israel have not really had a heart change. It appears that they were only obedient on the surface. But before we criticize the Israelites, we need to take a look at ourselves. Even those of us who have had our hearts changed by Christ still face the temptation toward complacency and compromise. Now, I found a good example of that in my own life just recently. So I'm going to share a few things that occurred in my life in the past number of weeks and see if you can relate, though, to the struggle that I have, uh, I should say, had and am still having. Some of you may know, maybe not all of you know, that 10 weeks ago tomorrow I had open heart surgery. And so I was in need of a triple bypass. Now, how did I find that out? Well, I, I passed out uh, four times at home. And um, I went to the doctor, obviously, after falling down the fourth time. <laughs> I went to the doctor, and my family doctor said, first of all, I should preface that, was that each time I passed out, it was when I got up from a nap. So my family doctor said, you know, at your age, that's not totally unusual. There's a quick change in blood pressure. You pass out. He said, this might be just something you might have to deal with for your, the rest of your life. But he said, just in case, I'm going to send you and have you checked at the heart doctor. Well, guess what? They found blockages, so I needed to have a bypass. And I wasn't a candidate for a stent. So the number of weeks leading into my surgery, I wanted to reflect Christ throughout that period of time. With the people I come in contact with, doctors, nurses, I just wanted to be a reflection of Christ. Now, there's some folks sitting here this morning, that i got to tell this story. There's some folks sitting here this morning that came to visit me, and I was under medication and used bad language. <laughs> and if you want to know more, I'll tell you more later. But it was the medication. <laughs> I had a nurse that I wasn't too happy with, and I think I reflected Christ to her. But when, when uh, my friends came to see me, I used some foul language about the nurse. Anyway, I wanted to reflect Christ throughout this process, and I didn't want to waste a trial. You know, God sends trials or allows trials to come into our lives for us to grow spiritually and to learn something, to be, be drawn closer to Him. There's many things that God wants to teach us uh, throughout our, our trials. So I would acknowledge that during my time leading up to surgery and during my time of surgery and after surgery, I felt particularly close to God. I even felt God speak to me. Now, I didn't hear audible voices. Don't, I don't want you necessarily to think that. But during times where I couldn't sleep, I had a lot of nights in the hospital, I didn't sleep well. And I could feel God speaking to me. So when I, when I got home, I had some nights too where I couldn't sleep well. And I asked God to help me remember the things that he's trying to teach me so I could write them down. So I did. I, I put them on a piece of paper and recorded the thoughts that God taught me or is trying to teach me or wants me to learn. So that was a, a, a valuable spiritual time in my life. Now that I'm mostly recuperated, I'm not normal yet. I had somebody tell me that. I told somebody the other day, I think I'm soon back to normal. He said, no, you've never been normal. 
So now that I'm mostly recuperated, I'm busy at work. I'm not quite up to full strength. I need a little bit more sleep than I once did. The word nap takes on a new significance, and I'm not sure whether that's just because of the surgery or because of my age. But my schedule is different from what I'm used to. I still have some things to get used to. I have some side effects from some of my medications. If I say something this morning, it doesn't make sense. Blame it on the medication. All these things might be excuses for what actually happened. I am finding it increasingly difficult to spend time with the Lord in reading His Word and in prayer. Now, what did I just tell you when I came out of surgery? I felt especially close to the Lord. I'm doing, I'm having prayer and Bible reading much less than I did prior to my surgery. In just a few short weeks, I went from commitment to complacency. It didn't take very long. I want to put a stop to this before I move to compromise, you know, begin to compromise some of the, some of the things that I believe and understand. So the challenge this morning is where are you in your spiritual walk? If you're at a place of commitment, stay there, but you don't automatically stay there. It takes work. If you find yourself drifting toward complacency or even compromise, put a stop to it. Repent. Ask the Lord for His forgiveness. So that's the the first part of uh, what I want us to think about this morning. I want to move now to actually looking at the Scripture. So if you would want to turn to Judges 4 and 5, if you're using the Pew Bibles, it's on page 206. And again, I'll remind you that the Scripture that I'm going to be reading, I'll be reading from the NIV, which will appear a little bit different from your Pew Bibles. Judges 4, beginning at, I just want to uh, highlight verse 1 to start. After Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So here we are again. We're beginning the Judges cycle. We're repeating. We're doing the things that the children of Israel did over and over again. In Judges 17.6, you don't need to turn to that in the same uh, similar verses in Judges 21.25. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as he saw fit. The King James translation said, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, doesn't that sound like today? That sounds like our world today. God gave his people 80 years of peace in the the midst of this cycle, and then they began all over again, turning their backs on him. It tells us in chapter 3, verse 30, that they had 80 years of peace, which was the longest period of peace recorded in the book. But then the people returned to their natural sinful habits. The book of Judges begins to sound like a broken record. Chapter 4, verse 3 says, and Israel cried out to the Lord for help. So that's where we are now in today's lesson. They're being oppressed and harassed by uh, enemy nations all around them. Our human nature is such that we want rescue without the rules. Now, I don't remember where I found this quote. This is not from me. I read this somewhere over the years, but I, I didn't record who said it. Our human nature wants rescue without the rules. We want God's help without the burden of obedience. And that's where the children of Israel are. But again, how often are we, are we like that? We want God's blessing without the obedience. So I want, to, I want us to think for a few moments now about missing the blessing. The story of chapter 4 in Judges, and we're going to read these verses in a little while, but I just want to highlight this. This, this chapter contains a miraculous victory that the children of Israel had over their enemies. And it was, it was so amazing and so miraculous that it had to be simply the work of God. 
Now, there are two main characters in this chapter, Barak and Deborah. Deborah was the judge. She was the person that helped settle the people's disputes, but she was also the person at this period of time that God chose to speak through and to be the spiritual leader of the nation of Israel. Barak was the military leader. So you see in chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse uh, 6 through 9, it says, She, Deborah, sent for Barak, son of Abinoam from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead the way to Mount Tabor. All right, now this is God speaking, all right? This is, the, this is the vision that God gave Deborah, so the I here is God. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Very well, Deborah said, I will go with you. But because of the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So Deborah went, to Bar- went with Barak to Kadesh. Now, we're going to find out later in the story that the woman that Deborah's talking about here is not her. There's another woman that's going to uh, play a, a, a part in this story. So we see the, the situation here with Barak is that he missed out on the blessing. God wanted to work through him and give him a blessing of experiencing a great military victory. And the victory was achieved through a great miracle of God, but we're going to find out as we read more of these verses that the hero was someone other than Barak. The blessing went to someone else. Now, there's record in this story of some additional folks who missed out on the blessing. Over in chapter 5, and I should say that chapter 5 is kind of a, a poetic recap of chapter 4. After the, the uh, battle, Deborah kind of summarized everything that, that took place and wrote a poem about it, and that's what we uh, have in our Bible as chapter 5. Now, there's some, a little bit of information, there's some tidbits in chapter 5 that aren't really contained in chapter 4. So we see in chapter 5 here, that in this battle, an amazing victory, not everyone participated. Israel was made up of a nation made up of 12 individual tribes. And some of these tribes just decided to stay home. So they missed out on seeing God miraculously at work. They missed out on the blessing of participating with God in this battle. So if you look at uh, chapter 5, that this, the second half of verse 15, it says, In the districts of Reuben... There was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the campfires to hear the whistling for the flocks? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. Then down in verse 23, it says, Curse Meroz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly, because they did not come to help the Lord to help the Lord against the mighty. So you see, there was a number of groups of people here that stayed home, that did not participate in this battle. Now, it might raise a question in your mind, does God then and does God now really need our help? You know, and all of us, when we think about that, we we would probably want to say yes, but the answer to that question is no. God does not need our help. He's all-powerful. He can do anything He wishes. 
God is not in need of anything, but God wants to use His children so they can experience the blessing of participating with Him in victory. So look at the excuses of these tribes. Now, it doesn't say, tell us too much about the tribe of Reuben, but it sounds like they had a debate of whether they would go into battle or whether they wouldn't. And those, uh, they must have gotten more votes from those that decided to stay home. So they stayed home. They didn't participate in the battle. Now, it mentions Gilead. Gilead is not a tribe, but a region. But it's a, it's a region where the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh lived. It says in seven, verse 17 that they lived on the other side of the Jordan. So I can hear the excuses. Well, it's too far to go. It's too far to travel. The battle's over there. It doesn't affect us. We're not going to go. We're going to stay home. Dan, they were too, too busy conducting business. We might lose money if we go into battle. Who's going to take care of our businesses? We're going to stay home. Asher, unwilling to leave their homes by the sea, the Bible says. Now, that kind of conjures up a picture of me that somebody has a beautiful seaside home, and uh, they just decide they're pretty happy and contented where they are. They're just going to stay there. So talk about complacency. Now, all of these people might have been doing good things. They might have been doing important things, but they missed out on experiencing God's presence and blessing because they failed to participate in this battle. They missed out on seeing God's amazing victory. They simply missed the blessing. Now, in today's culture wars, how many of us just stay home? What's the use? I can't make a difference in our swiftly decaying culture. You see, we may conjure up some of the same excuses that the children of Israel did. I want to read just a a summary by uh, Tim Keller in the the booklet with this uh, from this series. What is the lesson for God's people? That God wins. And so blessing is to be found in fighting for Him and with Him, putting ourselves in His service, whatever the odds or likely cost. Conversely, there is a curse for those who do the opposite, who stay at home. And we, we saw that in uh, chapter 5, verse 23. It is not that the Lord requires help, but that uh, the Lord allows His people to help and experience His blessing. I found that to be a, a thought-provoking statement. It is not that the Lord requires help, but that the Lord allows his people to help. Now, the next point I want to spend a few minutes talking about is find out where God's at work and join him. This is a statement by Henry Blackaby. Henry Blackaby wrote a, a, a book and a study series many years ago called Experiencing God. And our church did this study probably 30 years ago. Uh, but The part of it that stuck with me is that statement, find out where God's at work and join him. So we want to take another look at at this uh, story and find and see some good examples of folks that stepped in and did the work that God was calling them to do. I want to preface this section with kind of a a, a warning or a a caution. This, um, well, the book of Judges, first of all, has a lot of um, interesting stories, and many of these stories seem cruel and inhumane, and today's story is one of those stories. And if you have young children here, this might be the only thing they'll remember, unfortunately, this, uh, this story. So remember that during the time of Judges, God chose to operate maybe differently than what we 
think God should operate or differently than, what, than the way we see God operating today. God wanted to raise up a people faithful to him, the nation of Israel, to show the surrounding heathen nations who he is. And so God chose, and he still chooses, to punish sin and evil that tarnishes his name. And today's story is, a, is an example of that. So remember, too, that this story that we're about to read takes place during a time of war. So let's go back to Judges chapter 4, in the, the beginning of chapter 4. And I'm going to highlight this, this story and see, look at the, the main characters of this story and see how they have fit in. They found out where God is at work and they were willing to join in. Judges chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. After Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth, Hagioim, because he had 900 chariots and he had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried out to the Lord for help. Now, verses 4 and 5 just gives us a summary of who Deborah is. She was a prophet. She was the judge in this story. And she's the person that God used to speak through. And well, now Deborah sent for Barak. So beginning again now in verse 6. She, Deborah, sent for Barak, son of Abinoam from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead the way to Mount Tabor. Now the I, the I here is God. God is going to lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. If you don't go with me, I won't go. Very well, Deborah said, I will go with you. But because of the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Now, skipping down to verse 12. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera, remember, he's the, he's the commander of the enemy army, Sisera gathered together his 900 iron chariots and all the men with him from Harosheth, Hagioim, to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? Now, that's, that's key to any time that God asks us to do anything. We have a tendency to get overwhelmed or say, oh, not me. I can't do that. What's this verse say? Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? That's a, that's a true statement in this story. It's a true statement when God asks us to do something. So Barak went down Mount Tabor, followed by 10,000 men. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera abandoned his chariot and fled on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harosheth Hagioim, and all the troops of Sisera fell by the sword, and not a man was left. Now, over in chapter 5, there's a couple of verses that give us a little bit more understanding of what might have taken place here. And as I read different commentaries, there's some different thoughts in what uh, might have happened. But over, over in chapter 5, it gives us a little bit uh, of, a, of a clue in verses uh, 19 through 21. Kings came, they fought. The kings of Canaan fought at Tanakh by the water, waters of Megiddo, but they carried off no silver, no plunder. From the heavens, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. 
the age-old river, the river Kishon, march on my soul and be strong. Now, a number of commentaries feel that this battle took place during the dry season, and Sisera and his army used the Kishon River as a means of travel to get to the nation of Israel. And then in the midst of a dry season, God sent a cloudburst, and he sent rain that caused these iron chariots to bog down. And so now these iron chariots that were invincible all of a sudden were useless. And so we'll pick up the story again now in in chapter 4, verse 17. So remember that all these guys now abandoned their chariots. Sisera, however, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because they were friendly na- they were friendly relations between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the clan of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she put a covering over him. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If anyone comes by and asks you, is anyone here, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. I'd like to stop there. When the first time I read this, and you read about somebody putting a tent peg through someone's temple. I don't know that you had to add, and he died. (laughs) It seems like, yes, he probably did. Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, the Canaanite king, before the Israelites, and the hands of the Israelites grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, the Canaanite king, until they destroyed him. Now, throughout this chapter, we see God at work. We see people allowing themselves to be used by God. We see Deborah as the judge being obedient to God's call. We see Barak, although rather reluctantly, being used by God. And finally, we see Jael being used by God in a rather unusual way. Despite Barak's hesitancy, he still exercised the faith that he had. He saw God at work, and he joined in. Barak is listed in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, which is often called the Hebrews Hall of Faith. Barak's name is listed there. So what does it mean to really to find out where God's at work and join Him. Where do we get our confidence to move ahead when God calls or asks us to do something? And I think the key is in that last phrase of verse 14, has not the Lord gone ahead of you? When God calls, He prepares a way. God intervenes when we act with courageous faith. Let's examine in more detail for a few minutes What is meant by finding out where God's at work and join Him? We'll take a quick look at uh, Henry Blackaby's uh, summary of what he calls his seven realities of experiencing God. Now, they're listed on your your bulletin along with the sermon notes on the back part of that uh, insert in your bulletin. So number, 
number, uh, reality number one is God is at work in the world around you. Now, we may look out and we listen to the news, we watch the news, we see things that are going on in our world, and we might question whether God's really at work. But never question that. We might not be able to see it. There might not be evidence of it all the time, but God is at work around us whether we see it or not. We need to be on the lookout for it. We need to examine it. We need to slow down enough in our own life to see God at work in our lives and to see where God might be at work in our world around us. Second reality is God pursues a love relationship with you that is real and personal. God created you for a relationship. Greater than anything else in your life is the relationship that you and I can have with God through Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing that we can do. St. Augustine, a, a, a saint from the Middle Ages, wrote this statement. I have this written in my Bible. I like, the, I like the statement. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. I'm going to read that one more time. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. The third reality is God invites you to join him in what he's doing, and that's really kind of the theme of our morning, is that find out where God's at work and join in. When God has a plan to do something, he asks you and I to be part of it. And I asked this question before, does God really need us? No, but he chooses to use us. And what a privilege it is to be able to be part of the work that God is doing somewhere, whether it's here or whether you plug in somewhere else. What a privilege it is that God allows you and I to join in in his work. Reality number four, God speaks by the Holy Spirit through prayer, the Bible, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. Where do we find out how God's at work? Well, God is at work here at our church. God might be at work in your community. There might be different areas where you might see God at work. But through prayer, Bible circumstances, and the church, we are, our eyes are tuned to be able to see where God is at work and where we might be able to plug in. Reality number five, God's invitation leads to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. A quote from Henry Blackaby's study says, often you can't see 90% of what God is doing, which means then you can probably only see 10% of what God's doing with your eyes. You have to cover the other 90% by faith. Now listen to this statement. If you can trust the 90% you believe by faith, then you'll probably move ahead in action. If you can only trust the 10% you can see, you'll probably do nothing. The first time I read that statement, I wrote it after it, wow, exclamation point, I often see myself here. We only move ahead when we can see physically with our eyes. We're afraid to move ahead in faith. Reality number six, you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing. Once you understand what God is saying to you, you cannot stay there. What kind of adjustments might you have to make? You might have to make adjustments in your circumstances, your relationships, your thinking, 
your commitments, your action, your beliefs. I don't know. There may be different areas in which you might have to make an adjustment. Remember the tribes that stayed home, they weren't willing to make an adjustment, were they? They just stayed home. So you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing. And finally, reality number seven, you come to know God by experience as you obey him and he accomplishes his work through you. Ask God where you can plug in. Start small. Find somewhere here at Bethany Grace Fellowship where you might be able to serve. Who knows? Maybe a service area here will lead to another area or another way in which you can exercise your gifts. It's not easy. We have a tendency to be complacent. We have a tendency to just be satisfied with our lives the way they are. So remember that we need to find out where God is at work and, and join him. So in closing, I have a, a number of questions I would just like to ask us to, to ponder at this, at this point. How can I be a mighty person of faith? What has God called me to do? Is there something that God has laid on your heart this morning? What promises has he given me? Why do I still lack faith and persist in disobedience? What can I do to step out in faith and obedience? What's holding me back? One step of obedience often leads to many blessings. In what ways does my history, my understanding of God's grace and his faithfulness, can I look back on ways that God has worked in my life and that gives me the energy to move forward? What area of my life is God asking me to surrender to him today? We often lack faith when God calls us to lead. God merely asks that you take one step forward in obedience. He's looking for you to have courageous faith. When you do so, God promises that he will intervene. After all, when God wants to glorify himself through his people, he always has a plan for us to follow. Remember the story of Barak. Barak, God chose Barak to be the leader of the army. God chose the battle. God chose how the outcome of the battle would take place, and God guaranteed the victory. God's commandments are God's enablements. We should obey his will in spite of circumstances, feelings, or consequences. Often our feelings get in the way when God tells us to do something. Why? Well, I can't do that. That's not, uh, not my ability, not in my abilities. But when God makes a command or gives us something that he wants us to do, he provides the enablement for us to do it. So what is God doing? That's the, that was the title of our uh, study this morning. I had three points for you to think about. The, the judge's story doesn't just apply to Israel. Where are you in your life? Are you at a point of commitment? Are you moving into compromise, complacency, some of those other areas? Are you missing the blessing? Does God have something that he really wants you to do and you're not willing to plug in? You'd rather stay home. So what's God doing? Find out where God's at work and join him. And God today is still at work. Will you join him? Let's bow our heads for a closing prayer. Father, we come into your presence this morning, Lord, we acknowledge that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're an all-powerful and an awesome God. We see how you worked in amazing ways in the lives of the children of Israel, and we know that your desire is that you want to work in the lives of each one of your children. So, Lord, I pray this morning that you would 
help me in my time of complacency. And Lord, I'm sure that there are others in the audience where they've moved from a time of being really committed to you to a time of complacency. And we repent of that, Lord, and we ask that you would help us to renew our commitment to you. So, Lord, we just pray your blessing upon each person here today. We ask, Lord, you would just uh, guide us and direct us in the coming week. Lord, help us to look for places and times in which we can uh, say a word about you or a place that we can uh, plug in and let people know who you are. So we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.